1: A one two three four.
0: Thanks for listening to this podcast produced by Diddy TV. Visit DiddyTV.com for more exclusive on-demand content, or download the official Diddy TV app from your app store today. Welcome to Insights, everyone. Where our guest this hour is rock and roll hall of famer and multi Grammy award winner Timothy B. Schmidt. Whether you know him from his work with the Eagles, Poco, his solo efforts, or any of his various collaborations with Steely Dan, Toto, Jimmy Buffett, and more, you've undoubtedly observed his charisma and fascinating presence in music over the last four decades. He's dedicated an overwhelming amount of energy to music, and he's not slowing down. He just released a new studio album titled Day by Day. And in today's show, he and Amy Wright dig into the making of the album and what the incredible journey he's been on has been like leading up to this point. Thanks for joining us for this one-on-one conversation with Timothy B. Schmidt, right here on Insights.
2: Hi, Timothy. How are you?
0: Pretty good, thanks. How are you?
2: Good, good. Do you go by Timothy?
1: I do. I had three distinct periods of my life where I was Timmy, Tim, and then I embraced my uh, my full name.
2: Went back so, to Timothy. <laughs> I,
1: I like it. I like that name. Well, you so know, I, uh, looking at out the window there. Where are you?
2: I'm in Memphis, Tennessee.
1: Oh, But it's
2: too- we're we're it's Main Street, and we actually have trolleys that go by. You may see a trolley that goes behind me. So um, there's trolley tracks in downtown. And we actually back up right to the Civil Rights Museum, which is also in downtown. And we're about five blocks from Beale Street, if you've ever been to Memphis.
1: Well, I have. Um, In fact, Poco, I'm going to say about 19, long time ago, I'm going to say 1971, we did an entire album there with Steve Cropper.
2: You did?
1: Yeah. Yeah. we were on the road. We used to just work like dogs. We were on the road because we were young, and we we were on the road for about five or six weeks, and we never went home. We went to Memphis for about six or seven weeks, recorded an album, and went back on the road. And I think his studio used to be on Poplar. Is that yeah? Oh
2: yeah, that, I think that's right. And uh, that was an interesting time period in Memphis because the downtown was sort of shut down and ever since then it's you know been blooming and blossoming again but at the time it was pretty quiet downtown yeah so what what album were you recording
1: i think it was poco's third album it was called from the inside
2: so where are you now
1: i'm in i'm in my studio in los angeles in the los angeles area
2: do you call la home now
1: that's we have a couple of spots, but this is the mothership. Yeah.
2: You have a place in Hawaii, too, right?
1: Kauai. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So where did you grow up? You were in California. But where?
1: Well, I, I was born in Oakland and. Uh, my and then we we lived there and in that area until I was about f- f- five years old. My dad was a musician and he was gone a lot. Um, so we, um, they got rid of the house and bought a trailer house. So there were four of us in a 28 foot long trailer house and he would, he would, he's just played clubs. So we didn't travel that far, but I, I was kind of on the road with him going to different schools for the first, first part of my, uh, elementary school. Mostly in California. We ended, we kept going back to Sacramento because they had a lot of really great gigs there. And I, I started to make friends, as did my brother. And we ended up staying there. We still lived in a, a bigger trailer house until I was through, finished with high school. But um, mostly Sac, I call Sacramento my hometown. And then, and then uh, early, my early, when I started my early, period with Poco, I moved to Los Angeles.
2: So what did your dad play?
1: His main instrument was
2: violin,
1: but he, he wasn't classically trained. He was probably classically trained, but he, he uh, played a lot of standards, and he, uh, he, uh, um, he put a pickup on it, so it, he electrified it. And uh, I, I own that violin now. And um, they, he used to put it through this old Fender amplifier, which I have too. So they're really great mementos, and they uh the amp works great still, and it was built in the late forties, I think so um yeah, and then he he was in a trio who played like supper clubs, so I could go early in the evening if I wanted to see him, but I had to leave then you know they did standards of the day, pop songs of the day, and a little comedy So that, that's how I grew up
2: uh.
1: Musically, I guess.
2: Did you ever play with him?
1: Um, no. Once in a while, they would call me up to keep a beat on the cymbal or something, but not really. I used to love watching them rehearse and stuff. I had no idea that's what I was going to do, but I was always very attracted to it. So I started playing my, fir- my first instrument at eight years old was the violin, and. Uh, and uh i i did my best and for as long as i could but it's if you see string players they they have perseverance those are not easy instruments
2: to learn well i'm a fiddle fiddle player myself okay
1: so yeah so i know it it, you know they're not fretted they take a lot of discipline (laughs) so good for you and i i gave it up and took up my brother's trombone (laughs) who uh because it was in the closet because he, he had quit that and then uh, eventually I went to high school didn't want to be in the marching band and I, I, I had friends who had older I had a friend who had an older brother who had uh, a lot of uh, ukuleles banjos maybe a guitar uh, hanging around and my, my friends and I started really just sort of self-teaching ourselves you know Self-teaching and we would learn songs and mostly folk songs back then. That's what really, really uh, started me having the bug to really want to do this.
2: Were you listening to folk music when you were in high school?
1: Uh, Yeah, that was like early 60s when I started high school. And there was a big, you know, there was a big folk scene on the pop. Charts as well, Kingston Trio, Peter Paul Mary, people like Odetta, um, and then of course the the more traditional people like Dave Van Ronk and and Dylan. So yeah, so that's how we started. And then th- this was two other friends of mine, and then we got interested. We, we used to go to these dances and see these really cool walkers you know with these great instruments and cool hair and stuff and and uh we wanted to do that so we found we found a guy in high we knew a guy in high school who we knew had a set of drums so he joined our band
2: <laughs> so he he was just by by the fact he owned a set of drums He well, could at
1: first yeah at yeah. first but um i'm still and then we we stayed together after high school made our I've made my first record with them when I was 19 and I heard it on the radio it was like top 20 in San Francisco and in Sacramento where we were it was a number one song and I was still living at home and going to junior college too you know but it, it it changed everything and um um I'm still really close friends with all three of those guys and we we uh Uh, Whenever whenever I'm up there, we always have a lunch together or something and call each other on our birthdays and keep in touch.
2: Isn't it nice to have friends that you knew back in elementary or high school? It's really special, I think. It really is,
1: and I have quite a few. One of the guys in the band I I met when I was eight or nine years old, and we, we we literally had a ceremony and became blood brothers.
2: Right Some, on. Something that's
1: probably not that acceptable these days. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, I remember that when I was a kid. We—that was one of the things that you did. That you know, if you're really close, if you're, they were your bestie. Yeah. Then yeah. that's what and you
1: he, did. He remains that to me, and, and the other guys too. That he's my probably my oldest friend there, and we're you know we're watching each other growing older, and it's really a trip. But, uh, and then we would get together. Uh, we, I, we would get together and play at, at our high school reunions. We did it about three times, just play surf songs and stuff. A lot of fun.
2: Well, when you said everything changed, did you know then that you could be a musician as a career? Or did you think before that maybe I'll be doing something completely different mm-hmm. and music will be a hobby or what changed?
1: I think anybody who really gets into it really dreams and hopes that it, it can be a career and, you know, it just doesn't happen that often. And I, I consider myself one of the extremely fortunate people that it did happen with. Um, I, I I always wanted it to. And, and then there were times in my life where uh, before I got out of Sacramento, and even when I went to L.A. the first time where things looked really good and then they just went downhill and uh, I didn't know what I was going to do when I... Uh, I have all kinds of stories about the ups and downs of the, those early days. Um, my my buddies from my my old band, um, they uh, I, I was so close with them that when I got the offer to join Poco, I almost didn't take a, take them up on it because we were we were like the musketeers and we were going to make it. But then I thought, like, what are you crazy? <laughs> you should do this. This is what you want to do. And I reluctantly uh, uh, gave them notice, and uh, they've uh, cheered me on ever since. You know,
2: it probably was a really hard decision because you did have a, at least a regional hit with them, yeah. and so you're thinking, uh, you know, could that band get bigger, or do I need to just jump to this other band that's already established?
1: Well, actually, had I been thinking in the first place. It if it weren't for my uh, closeness with those guys, I, it would have been a no brainer. I, I finally came around to it. You know, this, this was a band that had a couple of Buffalo Springfield guys in it mm-hmm. who already had some, and they, and they already had some, uh, some hype around them. And, and, uh, and it, there was, I just, I, it was very important that I, that I did this. I almost, that almost didn't happen too. That's a whole long story, but, uh, I, it it finally did happen and uh,
2: how did you get the opportunity
1: okay here's the long story <laughs> i'm <laughs> <told> here <laughs> uh, so um there used to be these these girls who used to follow us around in in uh, hang out with us in sacramento and uh when when we stopped living with our parents we would get we got a big house together and all not a big house but you know Suburban little house together, so where we could be together and practice and try and de- develop our our craft. And these girls would come and hang out, and they would often say, "We're we're we're all we won't see you for a while. We're going to Los Angeles. We're gonna go, we're gonna go be with our other friends. You know, there's some of the Buffalo Springfield guys, and we we would kind of go like, "Oh yeah, sure," you know, because this was like, you know, we're in Sacramento. This is like way out of it just seemed impossible. Well, it turns out that they, they actually were, and this this one uh, woman in particular, her name was Kathy Patrick. She, um, we we went down to L.A. to finish up an album, and we lived in a big house there together. It's Scrimped. I don't know, even know how we did it. Um, and she came over and said, "There's there's a new band being developed." Uh, an offshoot of the Buffalo Springfield. It's Richie Fure and uh, Jim Messina. And they're, they're looking for a bass player who can sing. And I went, really? And uh, so I went, I, I made an appointment to go to Richie's house right on Laurel Canyon. He lived in a little house right on Laurel Canyon. And I went there just for fun. And I took one of my bandmates with me. And we were just like, you know, like wow, look what we're doing! You know, this was really great. And I, I went and I sang, played with them, and they they called me back the day after that. They said they were going to call me back. They had another guy to audition, and um I did get called back. And and they they they, I mean, I was thrilled. I mean, I was singing with these guys who could really sing, and uh, uh, and um and it was. Kind of easy for me, and I was, you know, a little nervous, but really, you know, very happy. So the the guy they had, they they um, this is where it didn't turn out the first time. The, the guy that um, they auditioned the day after me, that I came the day after that was Randy Meisner, and he he had a couple things going over me. He you know what, I mean. He he could can sing and play obviously uh but he had i had um a possible uh army draft problem this was during the vietnam war sort of no it wasn't quite the tail end
2: interesting
1: yeah and i so they they i was a little bit of a liability there and um and uh and he was also new um Rusty and George, the steel guitar player and the drummer who used to be in a band together. They all used to live in Denver. Anyway, I didn't get the job. And that's when one of the times I went um with my tail between my legs back to Sacramento, completely depressed, feeling like I I this was my one shot. And now I'm going back to Sacramento and you know and go go back to college, you know. So Turns out, about nine months later, I get a call from the same woman, Kathy Patrick, who said they've they've recorded the out the, their first album, but Randy's already quitting. And I said, "When, where, what do I do?" <laughs> <laughs> and um, that's how I um, that's how I uh, I came down there again. Actually, I I had a. a Richie's told me he was going to call me back. I told you this was long.
2: Hey, I'm, I'm listening I'm, <laughs> I'm, and I'm enjoying it.
1: Okay. Richie told they told me they were going to call me back. No, they, they, they flew me down there to rehearse again. And um, we learned one of my songs during those rehearsals. They said, well, we're going to call you you need to go home now and we're going to call you. I never got the call, but, but I just so happened to be, uh, I just happened to come down to Los Angeles with my, my then girlfriend whose parents were like in orange County. And I was, I had a talk with the, the, uh, my girlfriend's father one morning and and he says, what's going on with this, this, this band thing. And I said, nothing. They, they, uh, they said they were going to call him they're, they're not calling. And he said, he said, do you ever think about calling them? And I went like, duh. <laughs> I called them. And just so happens they were playing a club in Orange County on, on the beach at Huntington Beach at this little club. And they said, come down. We'll get into the gig. And he called and Richie called me up on the bandstand to do one song with them. And at the end of that show, at the end of that show, he said, can you stay? And I said, yes. <laughs> I had a little suitcase and I think less than $10. And uh, that's, that's how I started uh, doing that. I, I lived uh, on a rollaway bed in Jim Messina's house, which was the house that Richie had owned that I went to. Uh, actually, it was a rented house. And uh, I, I would rehearse every day with them. That's how, that's how the whole POCO thing started.
2: Now was the whole Laurel Canyon thing already sort of happening at that point or?
1: Yeah, I think what you mean is, yeah, I, I know what you mean. Um uh, yeah, it, it had already it, it had already, you know, become a thing, I guess. Mm, yeah, and, um, right. The prospect the, the idea that I was living there was really great. The the place I finally got into was in Laurel Canyon from by myself was a little apartment under a house way up in the hills in in laurel canyon so i was pretty happy about that but i think really you know i, I think i was kind of on the tail end of it when i got there so but it, yeah but it was uh it was it it was uh, supposedly this magical place and uh You know, I bought into it. I I loved being there.
2: I was thinking to myself when I was reading a little bit about about your background, living in Sacramento, and then you're not that far from San Francisco, and then there's the whole LA scene, the Laurel Canyon thing, but San Francisco had its own rock thing going. You had, you know, Janis Joplin over there and Jefferson Airplane, and and it just seemed like California, that, that there was just like sort of a melting pot of music going on at the time. Um, was it easy to connect with other musicians in general?
1: Well, Sacramento actually has pretty a pretty always has had a pretty vibrant uh, music scene, mm-hmm. uh, but you, you really at least back then had to kind of get out of there if you wanted to further it. Um, um, we used to go to San Francisco a lot. We we used to go to the Fillmore and and be part and you know try and be part of that scene. Um, um, I we we actually I have a poster in my studio that my my friend Tom, one of the guys in my my old band, found a mint condition uh, poster by this guy Mouse who made all those psychedelic post- posters from from the Fillmore, and it, it's a it's of a show that was in Stockton, California, north of San Francisco, south of Sacramento, on a sunday afternoon it was in it, it's this big poster of uh it says psychedelic dance and show featuring big brother and the holding company and the new breed which was our band so i, I actually have a, a great old poster from from uh, from actually playing with uh, big brother and the holding company and we played with a lot of those people as openers actually i was i was i eventually did shows same shows with Grateful Dead and uh, uh, later on with the Jefferson Airplane. So we, we actually tried to get into that scene. And our biggest event there was a free concert in Golden Gate Park where there were a lot of people, but it didn't really it didn't get us anywhere.
2: Were you guys around for the Monterey Pop Festival?
1: Well, <laughs> my friend Tom, the guy who gave me the poster, went to the Monterey Pop Festival. We didn't go. It was right on the edge of uh, sort of the end of the folk thing into the psychedelic thing. And um, he came back and he said, you have got to see this guy. It was Jimi Hendrix. Before his album was out, Before any, he was already kind of big in England, but we didn't know him here that well. He said, he, it's a mind-blower. So shortly after that, Hendrix was uh, booked into the Fillmore. And we all got tickets. And I, I went to see him uh, pre-album again. And it, w- it really was a mind-blower. So, yeah, we were around, but one, but only one of my friends went to that. Uh, and uh, it was... Kind of that whole scene started changing everything. Really.
2: So now you're in Poco and how did your life change after you got in the band?
1: Well, I I got out of Sacramento and I, I got my own little place up in the Canyon and I started, we started working right away. Um, We would rehearse. Uh, They, they are, they were having gigs already. Randy quit, but, but because he quit and they had, they had, um, Commitments, like at the Troubadour, uh, Jim Messina uh, put down his guitar and played the bass. So there were only four of them for a little while. And that's when I, but during the day, I would be, we would actually rehearse at the Troubadour as well during the day. And I would actually, I didn't even have a car, sometimes I would hitchhike there uh, and 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 rehearse with them during the day we'd have to tear everything down and because somebody else would be playing there that night and um i i loved the pace i loved learning this stuff uh, uh, i i really felt like a newcomer and i wasn't gonna blow it i'm gonna like put my all into it and um my life changed a lot because i was so busy and and They paid me $50 a week before taxes to rehearse. I was a rich man (laughs) relative to, I mean, that was a lot of money to me relative to the pretty much zero I was making before.
2: When you were young, so.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So I'll just continue this one part of the Poco thing. It was another little setback, I thought. So I finally learned enough songs to play one set of a three set night on a weekend at the Troubadour with them. And I did my set. I, I played, I did fine. I was really what we were really well rehearsed. And when we got um, off the stage, because I wasn't going to play any other, other sets because they were different songs and I had, didn't really know them that well. The manager, Poco's manager, came up, sat next to me in in, in a little private dressing room up there, a little cubbyhole, and said, "I don't think this is going to work out." And I went, "What?" <laughs> and you know, my heart just sank. And um, there there was an issue between one of the band members and me. I, I'm not really sure why, how, what the problem was, but um, he wasn't. Liking me being there, and uh, it had—it probably had to do with something deeper than just not liking me because I'm not an unlikable fellow. <laughs> I'm just, you know, so you're trying so, to get
2: along here.
1: Yeah, and um, anyway, he—he he said right then and there. I thought I'm not going back to Sacramento. I know enough people here now. I'm going to get something going. But right after he left, Richie Furey came in and he said. He said, you are, you're the guy we want. You're the one. You're staying. We'll work this all out. And I, so that was my other, like, little setback. And I stayed with them for um, seven, eight years before I got invited to be one of the Eagles.
2: So how did that happen? How did you get an invitation to join the Eagles?
1: I used to be. I used to live at that time. By that time, I was living. I was a new, fa- very young father, uh, and we were living uh, up in uh, Beechwood Canyon, which is, if you go up Beechwood, you can see the Hollywood sign. And um, my friend uh, John David Souther lived pretty much lived ac- right across the street, and uh, so I used to go hang with him a lot. Just walk across the street. And we'd see each other a lot. And one day he says, he said, I got to tell you something, but you, 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 you really shouldn't know this. And I said, what? And he said, he said, Randy's the same. Randy Meisner is going to quit is I I think he's out of the band and I'm pretty sure they're going to be calling you up. And I went like, you are kidding me. And, um, uh, it's strange. Well, it was perfect timing too because I was really getting in disenchanted with Poco because we were really flatlining and we were making less money and, and, and we were watching people like the Eagles and other people soar, no pun intended, soar right past us. And um, I, was really, I was really kind of keeping my eye out. And um, sure enough about... Um, a few days later, um, I, I remember I was home by myself. My 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 then wife and ch- and child were out of town, and um, I get a call in the morning, and it was Glenn, Glenn Fry, and um, I just kind of I said hello, but inside I'm going yes, <laughs> <laughs> um, and he he offered me. He wanted to know if I was interested. And I said, I'm absolutely interested. You know, again, when, where, where do you want me? And what, what do we do? He said, you have to keep a lid on it for a while. So I had to go on another leg of a tour with Poco and say nothing to these guys until I finally, I finally, when, when I got back, I called uh, Irving, probably talked to Glenn and I said, I got to tell these guys, I, this, is, this is not right. And I went to everybody's house, personally, drove to their house and told them what was going on. So I uh, made a, a clean break of it. I, I had been told Poco previously, when I was in Poco, the way Richie Furey, who is, is still a dear friend of mine, the way he quit the band was he had management tell us at a meeting. And I, that didn't sit well with me. I, I didn't. Right. It wasn't even Richie. He must have been kind of brainwashed or something <laughs> to, be, to actually do it that way. So I didn't want to do it that same way I wanted to tell everybody. And then, uh, you know, I started rehearsing uh, as the new bass player, singer in the Eagles.
2: Now, how many albums had the Eagles put out when you joined them?
1: I'm thinking almost six. I mean, they were peaking when they asked me. Uh, in fact, we were rehearsing. They didn't go, the year they won, I think it was 1976, the year they won Album of the Year, whatever award they got, um, we were rehearsing, and we watched that award be, giving, be given on TV. And uh, they were already working me into the band. In fact, I, I started playing... I did my first shows with them before there was even an album out with me on it. And so I heard a lot of where's Randy's from the audience, you know?
2: So they, they plugged you in vocally and on the bass. You play guitar though too, right? So.
1: I do. People don't generally ask me to do that, but I play a lot of guitar on my own stuff. Mostly
2: because we're going to talk about your new album, but are you playing guitar on the new album?
1: Uh, Yeah. Here and there.
2: Yeah. Actually, I,
1: every, Every song I've been writing, I I, uh, I, I kind of go back to my folk roots. I, 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 I write a song on a, on a guitar. Uh, sometimes uh, I, I make that sound like so easy, but sometimes it's weeks in you know, in working it out. But um, and then I usually uh, lay down a guitar and then make then do my do a, a lead vocal before anything else is on. So um, so yeah, I, I definitely play some guitar. And if, I, if and I don't play too much electric, a little bit. If I need a really dumb part because, I, because I'm not, you know, a master at, at playing the lead guitar, I'm your man. And sometimes I, I, I want that. That's, that's the extent of that. I, I will get other guitar players if, that, if, if I need to go farther than that.
2: So what album did you, join, um, did you make when you joined the Eagles then? What was the first one? The
1: Long Run. The one right, after, the one following Hotel California.
2: Is that the album that has I Can't Tell You Why? And you wrote that or co-wrote that? Yes. sing on that? Yes. So did you, when you were writing that song, did you think this is going to be a hit?
1: Well, I've told this story a lot, too. I'll try and make it brief. We, They asked Don and Glenn, I used to go up to uh, mostly Glenn's house up in Coldwater Canyon. And uh, um to, uh, to work out stuff and try and write. And they asked me, they asked me if I had any songs or pieces of songs. And I, I, I had a f- couple songs and I had a bunch of pieces of songs and that's the one they latched onto. I had a, a little, a piece of, I can't tell you why. I, I honestly don't even remember what the piece was. It was a long time ago and for various reasons, a little foggy. Um, so um, uh, that's the one we started um, developing. Did I, did I know it was going to be uh, a hit? No. <laughs> Eventually, when we had a, like a playback party, like a year and a half later, maybe two years later, uh, I remember listening back when that song came on uh, in the studio because we had people over listening to it. Don came up behind me in, in my ear. he said, here's your hit.
2: <laughs> I, I had no idea. So when you joined the Eagles and then it was just a really a couple more years and the, the Eagles broke up, right? Um, year? that's
1: right. So, uh, so I was asked to join the band in 1977, but I didn't really go on tour with them and start recording until 78. And, um, and sometimes in 1980, it all went to hell.
2: <laughs> so, was it a particularly stressful time for the band? I mean, was it everyone going creatively diff- different directions? Um,
1: well, here's my take on that. I'm, I'm the new guy, right? I knew I knew those guys, but I didn't. Mm. I didn't know them like I was to come to know them because I didn't. I didn't hang around with them. On a daily basis, like I was starting to do, and I, I really wasn't privy to all any any of the tensions and any miscommunications or you know anybody butting heads. I, I really I was just like I this is great. I'm going to do what I can do to to, to uh, for this band and make some kind of contribution if possible, and um, so. Um, I, I was sort of um, mostly oblivious to that stuff. I mean, I caught a few vibes here and there, but I mean, bands are just like, you know, they're like a kindergarten class, really. You know, it, it's just, you know, egos are fragile, power struggles, etc. cetera. You know, it, it, they're kind of all the same that way. And I just figured this is just another version of any other band I've been in. And um, so, so no, I, I, I really wasn't, uh, I, re- I wasn't prepared for it to end. I, I, I can't remember how I heard that this thing, that this thing is over, but I, I remember calling Glenn and, and having, asking him to verify that, hoping that he wouldn't, but he said, it's over. And I was, it's like I got punched. I, I, I just really... Could hardly believe it. I was not. Uh, I was pretty sad, actually.
2: Yeah, I would think you're riding a bit of a high there, and then it just poof. Yep. You know, ended. Um, but did that open up the solo career for you? Because, in a well, sense,
1: well, I yes, in a way, but because uh, I, I I did make a, started making solo albums, but I I my I wasn't really developed very well as a writer. Or I wasn't really prepared. Uh, I, I can barely listen to some of those first few albums because I, I'm so it's so scattered. And I was doing a lot of uh, co-writing with people where where a lot of the stuff didn't really come from my heart. It, it was only till about three till three albums ago where I said like to me the best songs to me. Are the, on any of those albums, are the ones I wrote by myself. I'm not saying they're, they're great to anybody else, but that's how I felt. So I said, I'm gonna, no matter how long it takes, I'm gonna, I'm, just, I'm gonna start writing my own stuff and recording them myself. And that's what this third album, which is called Day by Day, I, I consider maybe the third of a trilogy of those, of those albums. And uh, it's it's much more satisfactory. I don't depend on it for um, to put food on the table (laughs) that it wouldn't work that way. Uh, The Eagles, um, another great thing is is being part of that band allows me to pursue my own creative interests at uh, and try to break even But usually not even that. How do you think you've evolved as a songwriter? I, I just think i I just think I'm better at it. That's all. I, I just think, and I think you got to be, um, you can't be afraid to say what you think or, to, or to ex- be so sensitive. You don't want to expose p- part of yourself, you know, that seems too intimate or whatever, but if, if you, if you can just, just go for it and, uh, and uh, I, I've written songs where I go, I I can't let anybody hear this, and then I go like, screw it, yes you can. It's like, what's the big deal? There's no big deal. I, I don't really know. Uh, songwriting to me is is hard work. It's um, y- you have to like really roll up your sleeves and and dig in and and sometimes. There, there are days when nothing happens, but I, I believe something is happening because you got to go through those days to get to start making something happen. And I, when I finally latch on to something, I, I, uh, I'm, I, I really love it. I love the process. It's like a, an ethereal puzzle, you know, and uh, I, I really like that. And then to, to actually hear it materialize on a recording is is really great too. Especially if it if it if it comes out anything like you think it would, or even if it doesn't, but you like it anyway, um, it's really pretty satisfying. And so I kind of do it kind of do it for my own sanity and my own my own artwork. You know, I, I hope people like it and want to listen to it. But uh, if they don't, I'm going to keep doing it anyway. It's because it it's a good. It keeps me from being a menace.
2: (laughs) I can't imagine you being a menace. But um, do you feel freer now to talk about sensitive subjects, political topics, whatever you feel like you want to put out there? Do you feel like it's uh, it's okay now for you to do that?
1: Yeah, I do. Um in fact, I put out a couple singles uh that were going to be part of this album, but they were too time sensitive. One was called The Good Fight, which had topical stuff in there that I needed to put out right away. And I, you know, I took a lot of shit for that too from some people. And um uh people who didn't like what I was saying. And then I put out another one called cross that line. It has a lot of references to current stuff. And I said, I, if I don't put this out now, it's not going to make any sense. And, um, it's like, it's just, it's just my thoughts, you know, it's just, um, it's just music, you know, not hurting anybody.
2: Well, you know, day by day, um, I listen to, um, Simple Man, and There's Heartbeat is out now as well. And the album comes out, let's see, May 6th, I guess. That's right hear. Yeah. <clears throat> and um, so when did you write the songs? Were you writing them over the last couple of years or were they already um, in your head before that?
1: Um, maybe I had a couple of things in my head. Uh, typically... If we're on a working schedule, the band, I have to do it in between because uh, I, I can't it's hard for me to write on the road I have to concentrate on this other mm-hmm. uh, the other elements of, of being in the band it's it's pretty demanding actually and uh, so I would come home and try to either write and or record you know little by little and then uh, when we got sent home in February of 2020 with the whole COVID thing, uh, I, I really didn't, it's all I did was, was come, I couldn't walk outside my house. It was being, you know, under construction, but, um, we're temporarily in a place about 10, 11 minutes from here, uh, where I would actually, you know, go to the office. I would come to the studio every day, probably six times a week. probably would have come seven if, if, uh, if, uh, if I, my wife didn't make me slow down because I I just loved doing it. And I I did a lot of writing during that period. I figured there's a lot of creativity during that period. And, um, uh, for, you know, artists in general. Uh, so I was, that was probably my most prolific because I had no distractions like going out to dinner. (laughs) You know, I, there just wasn't, you couldn't do it. So so I spent a lot of time doing uh, writing and recording during that time.
2: So where did you record the album and did you collaborate with some other folks on the album?
1: I, the only collaboration is is, is production, uh, which is um, uh, I, uh, a friend of mine who does sound and uh, also uh, um, road managed my, my solo and stuff, who had a long history with the Beach Boys and his, he has his own studio, but he would come here and um, I would play him the song and we, we would start recording and I, you know, he would, he makes it make it sound really good. Yeah. But writing wise, no, I'm not collaborating with anybody. I haven't done that in a long time. I just writing them myself. And it's a slow process. I'm not, I'm not like a song a day guy or even a song a month. Yeah. I, I really have to, uh, with me, it's like waking up at night if I'm in the middle of a song and, 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 and thinking of ideas then or any time, you know, uh, taking a shower or whatever, you know. Um, so it's mostly it's mostly my my stuff, you know.
2: Well, I was really struck by the beautiful melody and the harmonies on the album. Well, the, the songs I heard. Yeah. And I can't wait to hear the whole album, but uh, uh, really beautiful vocal parts.
1: Yeah, like Simple Man was, um, when I wrote that song, I, I, said, I said to myself, I'm, I, this is like, I don't want to have a lead singer and background, guys. I'm going to do it a la CSN. It just calls for that. So it's, it's a bit of a homage to them. And uh, I actually sent it to, to Graham after I finished it. And uh, he said, um, he said, uh, really nice little tune. And I said, I said, I said, I learned from the best. Because <laughs> I actually sang with those guys for an album a long time ago when Crosby was out doing other things. Um, so, um, I I was doing a lot of harmony before CSN, but this song, I just thought, you know, I'm just going to go for it.
2: When I was reading about your whole life, and I knew that I couldn't cover it all in this in this short period of time that we had, I thought, how incredible. Uh, what a life you've had. I mean, just all these experiences you've had musically and and otherwise, it just must be amazing when you think about it. And then you're putting out all this great music and I would think that's a little bit of a pinch me. <laughs> oh, a lot
1: of it's pinch me. <laughs> um,
2: <laughs> I mean, these people where people I used to,
1: I you know, idolize and learn records from. For instance, uh, I remember when the Beach Boys, I was still in high school, they came to Sacramento at the Sacramento Memorial Auditorium, and I was sitting way in the back row, and they were doing a live album. And uh, I was... Trying to make a special whistle or something so I could hear it on the record, you know. And, you know, these pe- these guys were like, I- there's no way I'm going to, you know, ever get close to these guys. And eventually, years later, this is just one for instance. Um, I'm Carl Wilson actually asked me to sing on one on his album. And, and I was, we were taking a break and I told him about this Sacramento thing. And I said, you know, that was back when I was 16 years old. And, and he said, so was I, <laughs> oh. <laughs> which was really a mind blower. And and then you know, uh, there's a lot of feathers in my cap. Steely Dan is one of the tops. Um, it, it, the drummer for Poco used to. I I would come to rehearsal and he would. I'd say like I just sang for Steely Dan last night. And he's he would say like How did how do you get those jobs? <laughs> And really, all I ever did was said, when I would meet a producer or a band that I liked or something, I would say, if you ever need any help, call me. And people actually started calling me. And uh, I got to sing with a lot of people. A lot of people I never, you know, you know, I first heard the birds when I was in Sacramento and I was, you know, would be hanging out at the record plant with Roger McGuinn, just, you know, chewing the fat is, yeah, I've had a great career so far. And, um, and I, I aim to continue it as long as possible.
2: Well, it's a testament to all your talent. But one last question I have for you is, um, what is the most satisfying thing about putting out your solo albums in particular, this day by day that you just are putting out in the next month?
1: I think we sort of covered it in that, um, it's uh It's it's kind of. It's kind of all my thing. It's it it actually, starts in my head and and. Sometimes goes through my heart and uh, depending on what the song is and um, and I'm not. I'm not. Uh, compromising, with anybody else, and I don't have anybody to say no you can't do that or this is a bad idea. If if I have a really bad idea, I I usually figure that out. <laughs> um, um, the fact the fact that it's just all coming from me and, and like that I don't have to answer to anybody. Uh, and I can really do what I want is 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 really satisfying. Again, I I and I attribute my ability to do that because because I'm, I'm because of my my other job. Are you going to be touring soon? For well, that's tricky because we are we're still out there. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm going to leave in about a week to go uh, to go on another leg of the tour. So um, I, I I I want to. I hope to. I didn't really do a solo show until I was sixty, and uh, it. it uh, it's really much more intimidating playing a small club or theater than, than playing for thousands of people uh, as a member of a band when it's all focused on you. It's a little, um, it's a little frightening, and that, that's part of what I like about it, too. It's like, geez, go ahead, jump. Jump in and see what happens.
2: So, well, here's an invitation. Come to Memphis I hope for your to. solo tour. We'll set right. you up, and we'd love to have you down here. And... Wanted to thank you for stopping by Diddy TV today and talking with us about your life and everything, the new album Day by Day, and um, wish you the best of luck on the tour and with the album and all those wonderful things.
1: Thank you, and thanks for having me. It was fun.
2: Oh, good. We, we aim to have fun here.
1: <laughs> good. That's, that's a good, good target.
2: Well, thanks, Timothy. Have a great rest of your week.
0: That's going to do it for this hour of insights. Thanks so much to Timothy B. Schmidt for dropping by to discuss his life, his career, and his brand new studio album, Day by Day. One fan wrote in about the new album saying, Timothy really has a way of reaching deep into your soul and mind. It makes you stop and think. Extremely gifted, passionate, kind, and sensitive. qualities lacking in so many people these days. That's hitting the nail on the head if you ask us. Get your order in for Timothy's new album, Day by Day, over at store.timothybschmidt.com. From all of us at Diddy TV, thanks again for tuning in today. And we hope to see you again real soon, right here
3: on Insights. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football